Let's just extend our hands to him. Jesus, you are Lord. Right now, we come into this house declaring that you are Lord. Every chain can be broken today. Every struggle, every bondage, every issue and problem today can be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, right now we pray that before we even go into worship, that those chains would be broken, that they would fall off each one that has walked through these doors. In the name of Jesus Christ, break off those chains. Can we say amen to that? Hallelujah, Lord. Break those chains. Hallelujah. Well, good morning. Welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. If this is your first time, we welcome you here. Our prayer is that God would touch you right where you're at. If this is your home church, your family, we're so thankful you're with us as well today. And we know God will continue to do what he's doing. He'll move in your life. He'll help you through the troubles. He'll give you courage when you need courage. He'll give you faith when you need faith. Can we just say we love you, Jesus? Don't we love him? I love him so much. I do. Well, we're going to worship the Lord today. We're going to honor him. We know the word of God says that if you draw close to him, that he will draw close to you. And so our heart today is this. We just want to get close to the Father. As we get close to him, all that stuff begins to fall to the ground. So God, just help us in that right now. To lay down the things of this week, we lay them at your feet. And we choose to honor you today. We choose to worship you. Can we do that today? Can we honor him? I think we can. Let's do that. Now, a part of what's happening right now is uh, there's a prophetic sound that's releasing an atmosphere. Everything that we're about as a church is about coming under the authority of Jesus Christ with the knowledge, with a secure understanding that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And so the kingdom of God is establishing a system of authority under him. That's why the parable that Jesus gave, one of the parables, talks about those who said, we will not have this man to rule over us. And so God is coming to us first, and then those that don't know the Lord, but he's coming to us first, and he's saying, listen, my journey with you is to extinguish from your heart every single part, every little voice, every, every unction, every impulse, every emotion that refuses to bow the knee to me. And as my ability to do that increases in you, 
the atmosphere of the kingdom, of the weight of his authority, his ability to rule over us begins to extend out from our lives, not just on Sundays, but every day of our life, and begins to affect the world around us. But it begins with, will you bow the knee? Will you become intolerant of anything that is wayward, anything that is selfish, anything that is given to your own glory, your own ambition. So we say, Father, we will have you to rule over us. We do invite the kingdom of heaven. We do invite the weight of the presence of the glory of God upon our lives, upon this building, upon this room. We say, Lord, have the glory. We give you the glory. We say, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. God, arrest every stream in my life. Arrest every impulse in my life that is not given to you. Now, in a time like this, I want you in your heart to just interact with that invisible weight that the Bible calls the kabod. It's the glory of God. There's a weightiness, a heaviness to God that causes anything and everything to be unmovable except by His will, except as it's consistent with His nature. So even as... There's just a sound and no words. I want you in your heart to say, Lord, I invite the weightiness of God into my life. I invite the atmosphere of heaven's gravity to hold things in place that need to be held in place. I invite the weightiness, the kabod, the glory of God. Desire it. Just begin to desire it. Think of the things in your life that are not consistent with Him and say, Lord, I bring that under your weight. I bring that under your glory. That way that you often sin or often think, and you know it's wrong, just bring it under His weight right now. Say, Lord, I say in Jesus' name, that impulse, that hatred, that jealousy, that anger, that impatience, that pride, I bring it under you. I say, let it be subject to the weight of God. Father, we pray today that the inevitability of the kingdom of heaven would weigh heavily upon us. Oh, God. Oh, God, in Jesus' name. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for every single soul in this building, every single person watching on the live stream. We say, God, let the inevitability of the kingdom of heaven hover over our lives. God, let it hover over our lives with the promise that we will not escape accountability, that there is an opportunity to lay things down today and never pick them up again.
Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those that are suffering today under the power and the heaviness of a yoke of darkness. I say, in the name of Jesus, let the darkness, let the bondage, let the witchcraft begin to shake. Let it begin to shake. Let it begin to feel the power of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let it begin to feel the impermanence. Let it feel the impermanence of its condition. Yes! In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when I bowed my knee finally to the Lord in a backslidden state after having been born again at a 13-year-old, spirit-filled, I was in a bar at 19 years old, and the glory of the Lord came in the bar where I was. And what struck me was the inescapable nature of what was coming. I just knew it. I couldn't explain it. I didn't have the language for it. But what penetrated my being so deeply was that he will have dominion. That this is inescapable. And that I needed with urgency to bow my knee now. And I pray today, whether you're a Christian already or you're a new Christian or you've been around forever, I pray that 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 heavy-weighted truth would guide the remainder of your days. That the fear of the Lord would encamp over your life. That the sense of urgency that I must not permit anything in my being that is not consistent with Him. Now, when we began this morning, I began to hear voices. Voices of criticism. Voices of accusation. And one of the things that God is doing is He's, he's searching to and fro with the church and He's He's bringing things under his hand, but particularly criticism, murmuring. And I remembered a certain tone of a kind of a criticism that I was standing with somebody. And I mean, I've read criticisms from churches. And it's funny how the Internet and streaming, how people have the boldness to get online and start beaking off. I, I just think, man, you should be embarrassed to be saying this. But, you know, behind the the anonymity of the internet, you think there's, there's some kind of hiddenness. But I was talking with a fellow, and he was criticizing a preacher because of the mic he was wearing. And I'm thinking, seriously? This is where your mind and your heart is at when you should be bowing the knee to Jesus in the midst of a service? When you should be responding to His kingship and lordship, you're sitting there picking apart what mic the preacher should be using? So let the soberness of these kinds of things, because that testimony of criticism, voices that speak and tear down are by the millions across the church this morning as people are gathering and leaders and 
followers and intercessors and prophets and are making their very best effort to glorify God, to bless His people. There are voices in our midst that are criticizing the way we're dressed, our hair, the songs we sing. Why do they have the dancers? What's with that movement? Why the gold thing? I can't see the words. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. If our focus is so easily shaken that we can't love Him without criticism pouring out of our being constantly, it begs the question, what, what is our life saying? We will have this man to rule over us or we are the bosses and we are the lords and we are the kings of our own lives. The time for this kind of foolishness is at an end because it is going to be increasingly judged by the presence of the Lord. And so today, like like Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, listen, I'm coming. Get on side now because I'm coming either to bless you or I'm coming with a rod of correction. But get ready because I'm coming. And the Spirit of the Lord says, I'm coming to my church because judgment begins at the house of God. So, we are by no means perfect, and God is constantly illuminating things in our hearts. But the readiness to say, Lord, I bow. You are the king. I submit. I give this to you. It must be immediate, without reservation. His glory demands it. And the joy on the other side of bowing the knee is, is so beautiful. And even though, well, I've, I've bowed the knee. But when you bow the knee even more, more joy into your life, more power, more freedom, inexplicable freedom, measures you, haven't, you can't even dream about. So, Father, we say we rejoice and we say your kingdom come. And we say, Lord, may the rivers that make glad the city of God make us glad here today. And everybody said, amen. I don't have a title for this message, but maybe somebody can help me along the way. It has something to do with, with building, and I'm going to talk about an illustration. We have that graphic ready. I don't want you to put it up, but just have it ready. I, I'm actually prepared. I got visuals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. We are, we are part of something. And what I'm going to share is, is there's a principle for the kingdom. There's a principle for what God is building in the earth that's going to overcome the darkness, overcome principalities and powers. It's going to shed light in the glory of the nation. It's going to shatter everything. It, it's coming. It's great. It's wonderful. But there are some guidelines along the way for this building process that help us stay on the right path. And so there's some unique applications to that today. So I'm going to borrow from something uh, that we, we saw in Ottawa this last summer in the As One, where I talked about this, this idea of an arrow. So I'm going to borrow from that illustration. But here in the church, here in Spruce Grove Community, as God is building this apostolic community, um, we have, of course, a variety of leaders, a variety of ministries in this place. And, 
And one of the things that's happening, in fact, this came up this last week, where, where people were wondering, how does that work with Chris being the lead pastor and you being the apostolic leader? Like, is it two different churches? Is it, is it two, you know, is it all, you know, is, does, does one just sit back when the other one sits? Like, how does that work? Well, here's how it works. We're trying to obey the Holy Spirit. And this is not my church. And it's not Jim's church. And it's not Chris's church. And we're not building this according to our own DNA. Uh, in fact, what, it, what gives you authority in the kingdom of God and with God's people, God is giving authority to those who have his heart, to those who know this is not your own thing to do with as you will. You can't just decide. You know, and, and a lot of people down through the years, and I can share a few illustrations, haven't understood that. You know, a lot of times people come to me and want certain things, things from me because they well, you have this influence, you have this, this voice, you have this role in Canada. You could do this for me. No, I can't. I am not allowed. I only do what I feel the Lord doing. Somewhere there's a wife saying, hmm, if only that were true. <laughs> We are still human, but at least in terms of the goal, we are trying to limit ourselves to doing and saying what the Lord would say and do. And, and, uh, and so, so I don't have, I am a steward. Okay, whatever you have, whatever I have, whatever Chris carries, we are stewards for another man's vision, and his name is Jesus. Amen. And so, so it's not... Different churches, you know, and there's not competitiveness. Now we're trying to work out what is God saying? What is the strategy? What is the emphasis of this day, this moment, this meeting, this week, this month, this year? We're trying to figure that out. But just like the early apostles, you know, when they came together, they had a doctrinal issue. And, you know, they came together to say, let's talk about this. And different ones, well, what if? And and they come up with the Nicene Creed, right? They come up with, with a statement. Well, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in Acts, uh, I can't remember what chapter, when they were talking about the widows, and, and they said, well, what should we do? And they, through wisdom, got the heart of God and established a policy. But it wasn't, well, the last time you decided, this time it's me. No, we're, we're, we're looking for the mind of God. And we can't be so, div- now, having said that, I've got a particular bent. I've got things that I'm excited about. I got things that I regularly, in, in every conversation, I would probably go to, you know, things I'm excited about. Uh, there are things that, because that's, that's what drives me, but that doesn't necessarily carry the moment or every moment. Same with Chris. He carries a DNA, a spiritual passion for certain things. But God is orchestrating something, and we don't know yet completely how to do it, but we trust the one that has given us grace that he's going to lead us through this journey. Amen? Amen. Now, let me share a quick scripture. It might be uh, um, unnecessary at this time, but let me read it. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and it says this. It says, but each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are are Christ that is coming. Now, obviously, we've, st- we've stepped in the middle of a thought. And, uh, and so, I, uh, just to save time, I'm not going to explore this whole thought, but I want you to see where this is going. 
All right, he's talking about when this is over, when, when this is finished, and what's coming. But it says in verse 24, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Then comes the end. Then comes the end. There's an end. There's a point that Jesus has seen, that God has prophesied and determined. There's an end point for this thing, and we're moving towards that. But then comes the end, and this is what's important. Watch what happens when the end comes. When he delivers the kingdom of God, or the kingdom to God the Father. I want you to think about that for a second. The Holy Spirit here on earth, manifesting Jesus, manifesting the will of the Father, manifesting the qualities of the kingdom of heaven, is building something on earth. That thing is so tangible, Jesus is going to take it and he's going to give it to the Father. What does that look like? I have no idea. I have no idea. But there's a sense of the fear of God that should compel us, that should guard our hearts and minds. That this thing is not ultimately about us. This is not about our moments to shine. This is not about how much influence we have or competing against others and trying to have our way. Something is being built that at its core gives glory to God. And in the end, it's going to be offered to God like a gift might be offered from a husband to a wife or a father to a son or a son to a father. Jesus is going to offer up the kingdom to God. And when that happens, something else comes about. Let's look at it. Have we got the verse there? We, yeah, there we go. It's a little off-center. What's that all about? <laughs> then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to, the, uh, to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. That says a couple of things. It says... It says, firstly, that right now, that there are rules, domains of rulership, there are authorities, and there are powers that are being brought down, brought into subjection to the kingdom of heaven. That the final stage will be when everything has been subdued under the power and the glory of the one who deserves it all. That's what we're going towards. We're going towards something. And so the work of the Holy Spirit right now in your life is this. Subduing. Subduing things that rise up against the knowledge of God. And that doesn't end. And so don't think, you know, that, well, you know, I'm in church now. I raised my hand a couple of times. I even went up. I didn't quite dance, but I shimmied. You know, I, years ago, I never would have done that. I never would, I, I never would have, you know, been so extravagant with my worship. I never. Now I'm even praying, reading the Bible. I'm even tithing. Boy, I don't think you can get any better than that. Chances are, there's more to be subdued. There's this time because because God brings different accountability to our lives depending on where we are in the order of things, where we are in our maturity. If you're a new Christian. God is working to subdue things in your life, but he has, a, he has a priority in terms of what he's subduing. And he can't do it all in one day. I mean, if he can't do it in 40 years in my life, 
He can't do it one, in one day in, in most people's. Now, maybe others are faster learners. I don't know. But, but he is bringing things under his rule. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that God, every wayward thought, every wayward impulse, every, every rebellious spirit, and you know, even as I'm speaking, there's a sound that's going out that's reminding principalities and powers about what is coming. And I, and I felt just a second ago, I felt the, the kickback of principalities saying, we will not have this man. Yes, you will. Yes. We will have it and you will have it. And so he is, he is doing this, this thing in us. And I, so we are measured in different ways, but believe me, we're always being measured. And, uh, but it's not a scrutiny of a, of a critical spirit that's always designed to tear you down, but it's, a, it's the scrutiny of a holy eye that's always trying to bring you up. There's a difference. There's, there's criticism to, to, to uh, disqualify you, and then there's correction to qualify you, right? Because in the kingdom of God, promotion comes when you are qualified, right? You get jobs when you are qualified. When you are unqualified, you don't get them, so you seek to be qualified, Correction is about qualifying you for more of him, more of the kingdom in your life. And, but we are at different levels. Moses was at a level that was almost unthinkable. Right. I mean, he was, you know, mind you, he talked face to face with God, right? So he had come to a place of aligning his heart and his life to the mind and heart of God that he was permitted to come that close to God like nobody else. I mean, this is, what it, this is the testimony of his life. Nobody, even you know, when God was rebuking Aaron and, and Miriam, he said, listen, when I speak to a prophet, I give him dreams at night. Not so with Moses. Right. Moses, I talk face to face. This is a different level. And so don't you dare try to compare yourself with him. Yes. Right? And so there are different levels of management of these things. So it never ends. Now, I was on a a call recently where somebody shared something and the next day they sent out an email and they were repenting for what they had shared. And everybody on, else on the call was saying, oh, you know, it's all right, we know your heart. And that's true. You know, we, and people said, well, we didn't even feel anything awry, so, you know, don't worry about it. Well, I, I didn't send that kind of email. I, uh, I said, no, good on you. Because even if we didn't notice and even if we're willing to give you the benefit of the doubt, there's a work of the Holy Spirit going on in your life. And when you said that and you felt that edge on it, you hold yourself accountable. Because even if nobody else knows, you know. And so you, we are learning to respond to the Holy Spirit. And believe me, I, I, as I stand up here, it's a great privilege to be here and to have the place that I do. But just two weeks ago, I was speaking somewhere, and I said one phrase, and I can't even remember what the phrase was, but I felt something, an edge on that phrase. And I, I have been asking the Lord since then, God, I don't want that to ever happen again. Yeah. Well, what was the edge? It was just self. Yeah. It was just self. God is bringing an end to all rule, authority, and dominion except that which extends from him. And as we are aligned with him, we become a part of that extension. So, 
That's what's coming. That's what's happening. Now let's get to the message. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 and 10. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. It's interesting that this stuff that he's talking about later on in, in, the, in, the, in the book, he's actually dealing with throughout the book. So when he's actually correcting the Corinthians, he's doing it from the standpoint of, hey, God is building something. You are his workmanship. We are like stones. We are, we are holy stones that he is preparing to, to assemble together for this temple that he's going to fill with his glory. But, you know, we don't, we don't have the option of doing whatever we want. This is not about what we want. This is about what he wants. And so he says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's, and he gives two analogies. You are, you are God's field and you are God's building. So which is it? You know, the literal mind is like, okay, we're a field. All right, okay, we're a field. Oh, that makes sense. We're seeds, grow, produce fruit. Okay, we're a field. And then he says right in the next breath, you're, you're a building. Okay, well, which is it? Are, are, we a sea, are we a field or are we a... You know, it's not literal necessarily, totally, but figuratively in some senses and kind of literal in other senses. There's a way that it's literal about the building because he talks about the temple and us being stones. He talks about us being pillars, potentially, in, in Revelation. So there's things about this that we don't fully understand. But he says, listen, you are God's field, you are God's building... And according to the grace of God, which was given me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. The first message I ever gave to this church was rooted around this thing. Because when I came into this place, I felt a jealousy of God that had to do with the destiny, the promise, the vision of what God had in this place that there was something holy, something wonderful, something that he had been protecting. And the reason why perhaps some of the ebbs and flows happen over the years is because what is permissible elsewhere is not permissible here. And so there are different qualities of, of things you know, that are permitted depending on the function of that thing, right? He says that even about our lives. He said, if you want to be a, a vessel... You know, in any great household, there's vessels for dishonor and vessels for honor. If you want to be the ones for honor, you've got to submit to a cleansing process. If you don't, I can still use you, but maybe as a spittoon. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's what a vessel of dishonor is about. I mean, if you go back to it, you know, no indoor plumbing and the rest of that, let your imagine, imagination get rich. Right? Vessel of honor, vessel of dishonor, but still useful, no matter what. But you have a choice in some ways at what kinds of things that you can be used for. So he that has this hope purifies himself. And so we are, we are in that journey. But he's saying, listen, I built, and when I built, I laid a foundation, and I was very careful to not just push my own agenda. I was very careful to hold back my words when I felt like there was some self-interest in it. I was very careful when I was teaching and preaching that I, was, that I was not giving you my opinions about things, but I was being careful to bring the word of the Lord because I wanted a, a foundation that was Him. Right. Him. Yes. He said, but now, those coming after me better be careful because if God has gone through the trouble to select a location, 
to select a pure foundation, to, be, to, to carefully examine every stone that he puts in its place and every impartation that he's brought global leaders to this place to, to bring words, you know, don't think that this is your little pro- pet project that you just can come in and do what you want with. And, he, and the, war, the warning gets a little sterner. He says, he that destroys the house, the temple, I will destroy. That's a big deal. And that was the word that the Lord gave me when I first came here, is that be careful how you build. And I, 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 again, I've referenced this before. I don't need to share it again. But if you're here today, you've been a part of churches, and, and you're thinking along the lines of churches are, you know, at best, they are, they are the accumulation of, of Christians' best opinions and best efforts. And, and so we just contend for what we believe is to God's best. And, you know, at the end, you know, the strong will stand and the... No, no, no. That's not the way this is being built. God is hovering over this house to build something the way he wants to build it. Yeah, and we invite that. Because I'm not interested in the chariots of men. I'm not interested in a version of the church that is a little bit better than the last one, but ultimately collapses under the weight of a little bit of attack. We're looking to build something that's powerful. So I want to talk about the number three for a second. We're not quite ready for our illustration, but it's coming. The number three is an important number. Um, anybody can think of which ways the number three is important? How about the Trinity? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, that's a, you know, the three, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an element to that. You, body, soul, and spirit. The temple of, of uh, Solomon had three parts, outer court, inner court, holy of holies. And all these things, they... they Metaphorically, they speak of things, but in the physical, we have also an important three, and it has to do with determining your location. GPS, right, is where you where you are in the world is based on figures and numbers. You know, latitudes, longitudes, you know, height, dimensions. So, if you want to know where something is, you you find its coordinates, right? The coordinates determine where it is and where it's sitting. Now, I was going to try and give a building illustration because a few years ago, I didn't fully understand this and I decided that, you know, crown molding looks really good and I'd like to, I don't want to be too expensive, but I'm going to put some crown molding in my bathroom. And so, you know, I thought, I've done some carpentry work before. Mostly it's framing houses. You know, when you're framing a wall, a quarter inch in length or, you know, is missing is nothing, right? If you've ever built a, you know, you, you, you actually, if you take the drywall off some of your walls, you can see that sometimes some of the studs are cut a little bit too short, but, you know, if there's that much space, that's fine. That's fine because it's all going to be covered over anyway. But when it comes to doing a countertop in your kitchen or the cabinets in your kitchen or the crown in your bathroom on the ceiling, a quarter inch is a lot, But I thought, 
you know, I got a, I got a nice miter, you know, whatever kind of deal. I, I'll, I'll cut it straight. So I cut it straight and made sure it fits perfectly. I thought, this is great, you know, got the length. I put it up there, and I put it up there, and there's, there's big gaps. And I'm thinking, this is not working. This is not, like, what, what's wrong with this thing? I can't understand it because, you know, you have to cut this end and this end, and I put it in, and this one's all wonky. And that one's wonky, but it's different wonky. And I'm thinking, I cut them exactly the same. How can this be? But I never thought that maybe the ceiling wasn't completely level. And the walls, maybe one of the walls was slightly leaning this way. And maybe the corner wasn't completely 90 degrees. So I realized that, you know, as I'm cutting, I went through a lot of crown molding. (laughs) And you wouldn't imagine the amount of putty I had to use to fill in. It was, it was ugly. So I showed Wendy and she said, that's nice. Be, because, I mean, the mathematical equations, like it's not enough to be long enough, it has to be the perfect angles, but not just from one side, but from three different sides. And if one of those is slightly out, you got gaps. You got openings. So, so the precision needed around those dimensions, those, you know, this way, this way, this way. And if, I'd love to show you the illustration. You know, if it doesn't fit, it's just ugly. Yeah. It's just ugly. Yep. And so we've been like those bad carpenters, erecting walls, and we say, this is the very best we can do. And the Lord says, oh, that's great. Thanks so much for that. Okay, we'll just tear this down. <laughs> and let's try it again. But in the process of tearing this down, trying again, this is our lives. This is our investments. These are our relationships. This is, this is you don't understand. There are things that, yeah, you know, you were, while we were worshiping, we were, we were fellowshipping together. It was so sweet and so wonderful. Yeah, so sweet and so wonderful from your perspective. But from the perspective of a master builder, it had huge gaps, which you were quite happy to overlook because... You are a child. Right? And you don't really know. But a part of your journey is me imparting to you my standards of quality. And you're frustrated that you did your best. And you were sincere. And you tried as hard as you could try. And God is not dissing any of that. And he doesn't consider that an unholy thing. And, he's, and he loves it. But at the end of the day, he's not compromising the end product. I mean, with all due honor to your best efforts, church, Spruce Grove, fathers, mothers, whoever we are, whatever we are, God is not sitting there, oh, that's so great, that's wonderful, I'm going to put that on my fridge. Well, he might put it on his fridge, but he's not going to build with it. Right? So part of the question is here, what do we want? Do you want something that hangs as a mento on the proverbial fridge of God that speaks of our sincerity, our childish cuteness? Or do we want to participate in building something that has foundations that will endure forever? We have an opportunity to come under the master builder and to become accountable to his measures it's a powerful, it's a beautiful thing. And uh, 
I say, my vote is, I want more of that. So what does that mean for us? Well, amongst a number of things, it means, okay, let's show the arrow. Let's, this illustration was given um, in the summer. It, it came out of a number of prophetic revelations, and it's been used... This, this, the idea of the arrow has been used this last year for a number of different illustrations. And illustrations are good that way. They can be used a number of different ways to, to bring forth certain truths. This one about the arrow is kind of distinct. Now, the universal thing about the arrow is you can see that there are three um, feathers there. And you can see that the feathers are, are slightly curved. Now, it didn't, didn't used to be that way. The... I mean, if you try to shoot an arrow with just two feathers, it kind of goes, you know, it, it won't even hit the mark even closely. I mean, so you need the three feathers. Now, again, bear in mind, this is just a, an illustration, okay? But the truths of the illustration are transferable to many things in our life. But if you actually watched an arrow in flight, you, you know, if you go to whether it's a gladiator or, you know, Robin Hood, you know, see some of the movies, and the arrow actually would go like this. You know, kind of if you and if you ever shot an arrow, not a recent one, but the old style, they they actually would go like this in the air. So it's really hard to hit a hit a very small mark because you don't even know what part of the up and down is it doing in the air because this could be wavering four inches. You know, but what they did is they they changed the shape of the uh, the feathers and they leaned them in so that they, the arrow would spin. And when the arrow spins, uh, it causes it to, to take a straight line that it otherwise would not be able to take. And so not only are there three arrows, but uh, I mean three feathers, but in this arrow, it spins. Now, the effect of the spin is any given one of those is going to be on top at any given point, right? Now... They represent three important emphases. Is that a word? Yeah. Emphases? <laughs> Number one, vertical alignment with the Lord. Number two, horizontal alignment with one another. Number three, directional alignment with vision. Now, in this last year and a half a bit, we've sort of been hit at right in the mouth with this idea that you can have two of these and be missing one of them. And what happens is, is you're not hitting the mark right. the way you could. And so we saw an example of a very dramatic alignment last year, I think it's last year, at IHOP. When there was a, this event, and I don't want to tell you the whole story of it, but basically the family of God in 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 being represented by the Chinese, about a 1,000 Chinese came to IHOP in Kansas City in November. And uh, uh, some of us were there. And what happened was David Demian had a sense that we, I, I want to do something with IHOP and bring a 1,000 Chinese. Well, David didn't know that Bob Jones had given Mike Bickle a prophetic word 35 years before and said the most important people that, uh, in, in your ministry and life in the future is going to be the Chinese. And he actually gave him a prophetic word. He said, he said, I see Chinese people standing in rice paddies watching unplugged TVs. Unplugged TVs, what's that? How about an iPad or a cell phone? This was 35 years ago. There was no unplugged 
TVs available. But Bob Jones in the vision said, I see. He didn't know what to call it. Unplugged TVs is his best you know, representation. I see them all across China. And today, you know, and up to the day, millions of Chinese have established houses of prayer and are, and are following and watching and praying and being fed by, led by, uh, instructed by the IHOP to, to pray for the nations. It was an amazing thing. But this moment where the Chinese are coming to IHOP, like Mike Bickle was super excited. I saw a post. I was going there. I saw a post the, the week before we were going to be there, and it said, uh, well, actually, I was talking about a different thing. I was the only one there from uh, this church at that event. But he said, this is going to be the most important weekend in the 20-year history of IHOP. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Well, what we didn't realize, and I won't have to, I can't really tell you the whole story, is that IHOP had vertical alignment with the Lord really powerfully. I mean, the whole thing is God's kingdom, God's vision, praying, worship, and intercession. You know, it's like... And, uh, and they had directional alignment with this vision, number three. They had that really good, okay? I mean, they knew what they were called to, and they were going for it. They were, they were, they were giving themselves to this vision. But what happened when the Chinese came, they were embodying the DNA of the gatherings, and what they represented was number two, horizontal alignment with one another. And they didn't come with an agenda. They just actually carried something. The the DNA of the gatherings have imparted a brotherly love, a fellowship, an intimacy with one another that was infectious and powerful. And God's reason for bringing the Chinese to IHOP was to impact them with that third feather, that which wasn't theirs. And so as it happened, God did that supernaturally. I won't tell you the whole story. But he did it so powerfully that in the weeks after, Mike Bickle was on the live stream for IHOP, weeping, overhearing, because finally he didn't realize the price that had been paid to not have number two. It wasn't that he, he was mean. It wasn't that he, he, uh, he was evil or didn't care about people. It just wasn't a big emphasis. And what had happened, he stood up one day and he said, I was the father of a vision, but not the father of a family. And he repented to the IHOP body globally, publicly. And I mean, the, the, the whole reset because of this emphasis has been quite significant. Now, interestingly enough, this... Just uh, two weeks ago when we were in Vancouver at the One Heart BC, Dean Briggs from IHOP got up and was talking to the Gatherings family and says, says, you know, we had this happen and God came in and impacted us with number two. He said, he said, but can I respectfully submit to you, the Watchman family, that you might need to be impacted by number three? That maybe one of the elements, like, you guys do God really good. And you do family really good. I mean, the, the quality of intimacy that's growing amongst brothers is, is a, a wonder to behold. But, might be missing one of these. Now, that brings me to my final point. My final point is this. Is that we here also need these three. 
Now, historically, at least in the in the years that I've been here, I am I'm pretty big on number one and number two for a variety of reasons. Anyway, I mean that's if if you know me, you know this is this is largely what I'm about. Part of the passion that I bring is to help draw people to God, and then to evaluate evaluate the quality of their drawing near to God and how it affects their ability to love their brothers. Because there's a biblical pattern there that says, listen, you know, if you don't, you could say, oh, I got number one, I got number one, I got number one, I got number one. I'm, I'm loving God, I'm loving God, I'm loving God. But I have a real hard time with people. He's saying, actually, how much of number one you have is reflected in whether you love your brothers. And so you can only go so far with the one without adding the others. Otherwise, you miss the mark. And so uh, here's the illustration. That us as a body are called to a destiny, and we need all three feathers. And we've done, number one, uh, you know, our vertical orientation with God. We have pressed the matter. We have called you to worship God. I mean, the reason why the worship here is, is, is considered good is because we have said, love God, you know, and align with God. We should be dancing. We should be shouting. We should be praying in tongues. We should be humbling ourselves because it's before God, and this is important. And we've totally emphasized number two, especially in the wake of the fact that, that you know, where the enemy has hit us is relational discord over the, over the years. But this man right here, Chris, come on up here for a second, Chris. You and your funny jacket. That's a nice jacket. It's a nice real sports jacket. It's a real sports jacket. So this man, I mean, we, we want all three. We want all three. But the way God has made us is to have one of these as a passion more than the others. He represents more number hmm, number three, right? Mission, mission, all right? Now, we need all three. And the nature of this arrow, I know it's just an illustration, a metaphor, is such that this is a spinning arrow, and we never know which one is at the top. In other words, we never know for sure which one is going to be emphasized tomorrow or on Wednesday or next week or next month. But that doesn't matter. Because we are not about the one or the other. We are about all of them. And you know which one we need most? No. The most important one. Yes, we do. The most important one. Thanks. You can can be seated. The most important one is the one we don't have. The most important emphasis of the gifts of the Spirit and the administrations of the, the, the uh, ascension gifts, the fivefold ministry that's, uh, that's needed in your life is the one you have the least of. So evangelists need teachers, and prophets need pastors, and apostles need the other five, the other four to carry out. I mean, the God has so constructed this that all of these things are important. And so we, we're not going to decide to just camp on one of these or two of these. We're going to say we, need, we have a mission. And now, the, the beautiful thing is there's people right here in our body that represent all these. I mean, I'm looking at people right now that embody mission. 
<laughs> I mean, but we need every single one of us. But I want you to know this, that he is not in competition with me, and I'm not in competition with him. And though I have a preferred go-to thing that is always comes alive, you know, around what, what is my defining call in the kingdom of God, I love all of these, and I need all of them. And more than that, I need to be impacted by others who carry the one arrow that I don't, or the one feather that I don't have. So we're not going to become the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church didn't understand this, and they siloed behind people that were exactly like them because they were driven largely by ambition and pride. And I feel most at home with the people that are exactly like me. Why? Because they tell me how great I am. Because if they celebrate the same things that I celebrate, that means I'm aligned perfectly. And these people that come in and have a different alignment are like, what's the matter with you? No, I, I need them. So he said, you know, some of you are saying I'm of Paul, and some of you are saying I'm of Silas, and some of you super spiritual ones, I'm of Christ. <laughs> so these things I've applied metaphorically to myself and some of the others. But basically to say, you are siloing behind ones that are likely like you because you are stuck in a rut where you just celebrate yourself. That's got to stop. It's destroying the temple. It's destroying the building. And God will not have it. Now, God will not have it anywhere. But because of what he started in some places in the earth, some works that are more advanced in terms of their responsiveness to that DNA of heaven, he's more jealous over them because they're going to be examples. And so he's guarding them. and He's watching over them. And we have the honor of being a part of one of those. I mean, we're not significant maybe in the eyes of the whole world or anything, but there's something here that God has planted. And if you know the history of this church, you know the global quality ministers that God has sent here to impart things. And that's not just because, oh, you know, we just were properly connected relationally and we just, no, no, no. Favor comes for a reason and it's not just so you can feel important. So, let's stand up together. We want to close today by simply saying this, Father, we want all of you. Now, I want us right now, where we have arrogantly or stubbornly or divisively pursued something that speaks well of us and tried to subtly tear down the value of some of the other expressions We want to say, Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us. Lord, you are building something in the earth that we want to be a part of. And Lord, our knowledge is incomplete. Our ability to value is incomplete. Our ability to even anticipate what's needed for a miter joint is incomplete. God, how much less do we understand the sophistication of heavenly buildings, structures that are beyond our imagination in glory. 
but you said you would build with us. So, Lord, we invite you, Holy Spirit, doing us what you want to do. We will not be the voices of division. Can you say that with me? We will not be the voices of division. We will not tolerate hatred towards our brothers or sisters. We will not wave our banner above the banners of others. Amen. Amen. So, Father God, we choose to say yes to you. We choose to say yes to your plan. And we say thank you, Father, for all that you're going to do because we know you're going to do something powerful. That's who you are. We love that about you. So we join in with you. We say yes in Jesus' name. Can we say yes, Lord? We say yes, Lord, in Jesus' name to whatever his plan is, even if it looks a little different than what we're used to. Amen.